Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, August the 5th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Today, John Hume's funeral takes place in his native Derry, and in the two days since his death, Hume has been the subject of many, many thousands of words about his life, his political career, and his extraordinary legacy. Today, we wanted to look at some facets of a man who many regard as the most consequential Irish political figure of the last 50 years, at least. And to do that, I'm joined by Claire Hanna, the SDLP MP for South South Belfast. Claire, thanks for joining us before you head off to the funeral this morning. Uh, thanks. Delighted to be here. I'd like to go into some detail of the, the, the history, the extraordinary history of John Hume in a little while, but maybe um, could you tell me about what, if any, personal relationship or memories you have of him? You would have been, I'm right in saying, a teenager around that time of the of the peace process and the leading up to the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, just about about that age, just a couple of months too young to vote in the agreement. But uh, I mean, my, my, I grew up in a fairly political family. My dad had had uh, worked for the party in the eighties, and my mum uh, in the mid nineties was was an elected representative. So I suppose Hume would have been, um, you know, around and in and out, and I would have I would have met him. But I suppose it's the it's his concepts and uh, ideas that would have. Um, loomed fairly large although I think uh, the TV show Dairy Girls got it got it got it just right about how much he was in people's consciousness with the the auntie saying that God John Hume's always going on about peace I hope it works out for him and I think you know that that shows kind of how 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 live he was even in people who weren't particularly engaged in politics because he spoke so directly to people and because he was such a consistent uh, presence and so consistent uh, in his message but yeah I mean I, you know, remember him personally. But it's the one thing I do always remember every time he would see my parents at conference and stuff, he would always say to my mum, oh, you're not still with that old fella, are you? You know, that was his kind of uh, running joke. And he was, I mean, he was, he was, he was, uh, you know, a serious person because I think he, uh, for for decades, uh, you know, wore the responsibility of what he was trying to achieve very, very heavily, and he thought uh, very deeply ab- about how he would uh, how he would bring people along and how he would solve the challenges. But I think it's no secret that he also enjoyed the crack, enjoyed a drink, enjoyed a, a sing song, and and did so uh, at SDLP events until uh, until very recent years. And just going all the way back, really, I was reading some pieces that we ran in a in a supplement in the Irish Times yesterday on Tuesday, um, um, a piece by my colleague Michael Viney, who many, many years ago, 55 or more years ago, was sent up to Northern Ireland by the then editor, Douglas Gageby, um, to do a, a series of reports on what was happening politically in the North at the time. And, and John Hume was one of the people he talked to. And as a result of that, um, uh, John Hume wrote a few pieces for the Irish Times, one of which we, we we republished yesterday. It's a really fascinating piece. It's a kind of snapshot of a of a time a long, long time ago before before the troubles had had started, before the civil rights movement had started. And he gives voice to a sense of dissatisfaction with a new, younger generation 
generation of people from a nationalist Catholic background. He himself came from a um, from a from a poor working class background in Derry. He was a grammar school boy, uh, had become a teacher, and he had a, he had a series of ideas about what it could and should and might mean to be a nationalist in the north, which went against the grain of the of the received wisdom at the time. He, he did, I mean, because he did those things simultaneously, he did recast nationalism and of course, you know, physical force and romanticism in Irish nationalism was uh, kind of the dominant uh, ideology and he, he he transformed nationalist thinking for the whole of the island about about how Irish unity would be achieved and about what it meant uh, 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 and, you know, how it, it wasn't as he said so many times about, uh, you know, uniting the land. It was about uniting the people. But he rooted it in, in, in the practical, in the, in the well-being of people. And I think that's why, uh, you know, when it came to civil rights and when it came to his elected time, people trusted him because, uh, you know, as, as, as you say, I mean, he, he started the credit union with others just with, with small change, basically about giving access to resources to the very, very poor families like those he came from. He was always uh, about uh, about positive change in people's lives you know in, in the civil rights he focused very extensively yes on on the, on the political structures and on tackling gerrymandering but about allocation of housing as well and he did that throughout his life it wasn't about the kind of you know ethereal concepts of it was about what what the political failure was doing um to, to people's life chances and to victims and uh, about you know what we could achieve and and that's relevant uh, right up to the present day where we still obsess a little bit um you know about the about the processes of of for example Irish unity rather than you know the ends what it what it might achieve but i mean clearly he, he was a prolific writer uh, and and uh, uh, particularly before he had a, an established political platform. But that's one of the really interesting things about him. While he was, you know, a member of parliament and a member of the European Parliament and, of course, a party leader, he really led far beyond his authority. And even before he achieved either of those roles, you know, he was uh, injecting ideas uh, and, and, and thinking um, into into discussion. And, and of course, um, things that over the decades kids, everybody, everybody would eventually get on board with. How important is Derry in that, I wonder? I mean, I think you're, you're, you're a representative now for Belfast, two very different cities. Derry famously was horrendously gerrymandered in the 1960s when he began his, his political career, but it was ultimately a majority nationalist city on the border. There was the possibility for real political change and uh, and getting you know some sense of, ha- of, of a handle on, on political power in Derry. And I just wonder how much that informed both the the idea of what of the possibility of politics as a nationalist in Northern Ireland, and also a sense of of, of a greater scope, maybe for generosity, for want of a better word. Yeah, I mean, he, he he was he was Derry to the core, and Derry was him, and I think you know he he is first and foremost belongs to Derry, um, and I suppose that yet yeah, very much the political context of the time because it was, uh, you know, chronic poverty, but not not a not an accident as poverty rarely rarely is, but it was particularly uh, politically egregious, and 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 so he saw the two things in tandem. Yes, there are different uh, different dynamics, Derry being so 
so majority nationalist, but yet being so underrepresented in, in, in Hume's time. It is a different dynamic to say, for example, Seamus Mallon, who grew up in a majority uh, unionist town and Protestant town. And I suppose both of the, those things do um, shape, uh, shape your thinking. And I suppose that's why, um, you know, j- 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 he came from he came from came from nationalism. But really everything that he said about uh, about addressing poverty and, and, you know, material well-being in people's lives, but also um, about accommodation, uh, you know, and about reaching agreement and about um, the political structures. It's 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 absolutely universal, not just for all of Northern Ireland and all of all of Ireland, but as we know, it can be applied elsewhere as well. But but really, Derry uh, was particularly uh, under the caution and particularly under resourced. And and I think one of the other campaigns he was associated with, which still hasn't come to fruition, was a, a, a university, a, a proper university uh, for 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 Derry. And yes, I think he 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 had reason uh, to believe that the underinvestment in Derry was strategic and systemic. Uh, and and I think that's something that that motivated him very greatly. But that's not to say he's any less relevant in, in the minds of those of us in Belfast or, or anywhere else on the island. Now, the party he founded, your party, the SDLP, I think it was founded almost exactly fifty years uh, uh, ago now, uh, co-founded along with the likes of you know Jerry Fitt and Paddy Devlin. Like any political party, it was a sort of a coalition, uh, and it brought together those social democratic elements who might have been in a Labour party in a, or or a you know social democrat party in another country with some of the strands of traditional nationalism um, as well. How has that party changed over the years? You know, at times it has been accused of being too green. At times it's been accused of being too much of a Labour Party. Um, How much of its narrative goes to Hume or how much of it goes to goes to Fitz or to or to Devlin or, or those other strands? Well, it, it was a broad church and it is a broad church and those criticisms about it being to this or to that uh, ha- have have been with it for 50 years because, um, you know, it, it's 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 representative base. It, it, the, the people who 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 elect SDLP representatives uh, are, are broad in their politics as well. And of course, people can think two things at the same time. You know, you can you can seek to achieve Irish unity by consent and you can also be extremely focused on 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 the economic uh, and practical well being of people and, and their public services. Uh, Hume, Hume shapes, shapes it uh, to this day. He's not in any way a contested figure uh, within the SDLP, it's fair to say. Uh, and I think that's the beauty of, of all that he said. It's not, these aren't, you know, rocket science concepts, just about difference being the essence of humanity, about the fact that you cannot eat a flag. You know, those those are those are things that, that I believe every SDLP elected representative and activist and voter uh, it buys into to very very substantially uh, and, and I mean it's difficult in it's difficult in in a in a devolved context and where devolution isn't even that stable to I suppose be as much of a, a practicing social democrat as many of us would want to be because we simply don't have all the levers and we we, we don't have all the portions uh, of, of power but I think um you know that that would be the, the dominant uh, philosophy within people but it is also worth saying that Hume even though he came from a, a very much 
large majority nationalist uh, uh, city. He was a he was he believed very strongly in Irish nationalism. He and and the others with whom he founded the SDLP deliberately didn't found the Republican Party or the Nationalist Party. They chose to found the Social Democratic and Labour Party, and they chose to locate it very much in the European uh, Social Democratic mainstream. And of course, uh, working with other uh, left and centre left uh, uh, political people uh, in Europe through the Party of European Socialists was a really, really big part of his mission and his drive. And he drew, you know, got real inspiration uh, uh, from those other parties and those other political leaders. And 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 many of us, uh, you know, share that inspiration and take it from him. Uh, but I, but he 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 could have he could have founded the the Nationalist Party. He could have founded the Republican Party, and he could have made it very successful. But he was a Social Democrat because he knew that nationalism or unionism alone aren't going to um, put bread in anybody's table and, and they aren't going to solve the problems that we have or anybody else has. I mean, the first real manifestation of, of Hume's thinking in, in physical form was the power-sharing um, administration in 1973, Sunningdale, which was ultimately brought down by the loyalist workers strike, essentially a form of a coup d'etat in, in, in Northern Ireland. There was criticism within the SDLP of, of Hume's insistence on a Council of Ireland. All these all these patterns, which we can see again and again, is thinking as we move through you know, the Anglo-Irish Agreement in the 1980s and ultimately the peace process in the 1990s, that he wanted an all, he, he, he saw that an all Ireland element in his view was essential. But some within the SDLP thought that that was the element that pushed unionism and Brian Faulkner and the Ulster Unionist Party too far and actually sowed the seeds of the destruction of that. What do you think of that? I, I mean, I think I think it just shows his vision. He showed that he 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 knew, and and what we now know was the the strands in terms of the different sets of relationships. He knew that it wasn't an internal Northern Irish issue. He knew that it wasn't just an internal uh, Ireland North and South issue. You know that that it had to have the third strand as well uh, with with Britain and Ireland. And and I don't know how. I mean, I think um, it's 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 gradualism or, or or big vision. I don't think there was a massive divergence in opinion. I don't think people thought it was. Was a bad idea. I suppose it was just in terms of what could be achieved, and 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 we have to remember just how bleak um, the landscape was, just how intransigent uh, their political uh, opponents were, and and because you know Hume speak and Hume's concepts seem so obvious now, because everybody right down to the DUP are bought into them. Um, you know they they seem obvious and simple now, but they but they really really weren't, and and he 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 had to persuade people, and and while I don't have chapter and verse of that particular uh, divergence. I don't think anybody uh, disagreed with him that that was a fundamental element. I suppose it was just about uh, what could be achieved. And of course, you know, perhaps my reading of history isn't isn't as detailed as, as it could be. I don't think it was the all-island dimension that brought it down. There were very, very many other factors. There were quite simply those in unionism who didn't want uh, to share power in any way. way. And there were those in violent republicanism who, who didn't want uh, any engagement uh, uh, anyway. So it probably, you know, while it might be written that that that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, it, 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 I don't think it was. I mean, the grimmest and bleakest decades were the decades of the 1970s and the 1980s. And a lot of that must have been very lonely times for him. One of the things that strikes me looking at his, you know, his, his, his life and his career is that a lot of the other protagonists were at least operating from within the safety of their own base camps, so to speak, surrounded by their supporters. Uh, he was subject to attack from all sides uh, at one point or another, or sometimes simultaneously, whether it be um, from unionists who didn't trust him, from Republicans 
Americans who talk to describe the SDLP as stoops, you know, who from um, f- from all sides essentially. And th- then in the background, you have this constant low hum of this awful violence and regular tragedies going on. It, it, it must have taken a toll. And even looking at photographs of them over the years, you could kind of see that it took a toll. I I just think that that I mean that's all. That, that that was so clear, you know, in in everything that he's done, but even in a lot of what you were saying yesterday, the sheer tenacity and strength of of spirit to just go through those cycles and and I suppose to to know as he clearly did uh, what the solutions were and for other people to be so pig headed I suppose and yes it it, it would have been very lowly you, you you it was clear from footage and it's clear from the things that he said he felt very deeply the pain that people uh, were feeling he 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 cried with 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 victims he he um. Uh, you know, it it wasn't it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't just a, a concept, and I, I suspect it wasn't something he could just put away. And quite clearly, it was his twenty four seven. You know, there was no escape um, from 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 the work that he had to do. And yeah, it it did. I think it it wore very heavily on him, and and I I I'm sure on his whole family. And I know um, Pat, his wife's uh, contribution, it will it will never be written out of the story either because it was so fundamental. And and it's clear anybody who speaks to her, she wasn't. You know, just you know, his wife. She was his closest political advisor, and and kind of walked all of that uh, with him. But yeah, I mean, it it was such it 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 really he 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 had the weight of expectation of those who 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 did want to end it. Um, you know, knew he was their man. He was the person who had um the answers. But yeah, imagine imagine the imagine that happening for twenty five years, and those who could have put a stop to it not doing that alone would kill you. Let alone. Um, uh, I, I suppose you know just just the relentless awfulness, um, but just it just it just shows a, 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 an unbelievable uh, human spirit, love for your fellow man, uh, and tenacity. That I mean, really, I, I I can't think of another person who's who's demonstrated that over such a long period of time. And did he find a way? Did, was one of the things that f- helped him to find a way through that an ability to rise to the international stage? I mean, I think certainly he's the only real international statesman. Uh, who emerged out of the northern conflict, and he had a a, a position of influence, and uh, he had the ears of the most powerful people in Brussels, Brussels, and in Washington, and various other places. And he had an intellectual gravitas, uh, a sort of a depth. I mean, partly because he was part of that kind of extraordinary generation, the, the generation of of Heaney and Friel, a kind of a you know an explosion of of you know, of intellectual creativity as well. Would that be part of what sort of sustained him through all that? Because you do wonder sometimes. There must have been times in the late eighties, the early nineties, where he just thought he'd jack it all in. Yeah, I mean, I you know when you see uh, there's there's footage of interviews with him and and kind of reading that I you know I suppose we call it imposter syndrome now. You know that he probably couldn't believe that this you know young man from Derry uh, had this access but it, it, it was that fundamental uh, thing that he knew that you know he, he said if you if there's a big problem make it bigger and 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 he he always was aware that it, it, it wasn't going to be solved just in Derry it wasn't going to be solved just in Northern Ireland or on the island of Ireland and that he had to uh, bring his influence to bear and I suppose again when you're not uh, you know 
sloshed around by by the daily horror and 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 by the sniping and the jibing. Um, really, this, the solutions are to many external people not not very very simple but but i suppose um easier easier to draw and goodness aren't we aren't we aren't we lucky that he did it because that's the other thing that's really uh hard uh, it's easy to to forget that success wasn't a given you know i think because we're we're looking at it from from 2020 it's it seems that of course of course this is how it happened but just uh, as you say how many times he must have thought of jacking it all in that if it didn't work this time god when is it going to work but i suppose um a, a, he said so many times the fundamental problem hasn't changed and so the solution hasn't changed and and probably you would imagine he was encouraged and galvanized by the response that he did get and 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 the buy-in that he did get for 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 global leaders and of course he did he did the you know the US strand which was very much about uh leveraging US political interests uh to to put pressure on on you know UK and 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 Dublin policy but of course he he was equally he was you know, a committed European and 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 use that leverage to 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 bring resources and funds. He said many times that the best peace process is a job. Uh, you know, he 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 kind of always had those two um, twin strategies. But it's interesting then that he had he had developed these relationships with you know senior senior civil servants in Dublin, uh, major political figures on on uh, Capitol Hill in Washington and 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 in Brussels as well. And then he moved to take this, what certainly seemed at the time to be an enormous risk, which was, I mean, he was seen as that he was the face of constitutional nationalism and therefore opposed to physical force republicanism. And yet he was the one who reached out to to Republicans. Uh, I was interested to hear you saying in a podcast the other day that, you know, you weren't uh, an adult at the time, but had you been, you probably would have opposed that at the outset. Yeah, I think I think I would. I think I'm, I'm self-aware enough to, self-aware enough to know, uh, you know, that 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 I, I, I wouldn't have got it all right. And, and, and I suppose he, he, he was visionary. He saw where it could go. And I suppose he saw that nothing else had worked. And we know um, to this day, there is still a, a cult of violence in, in, in Irish now. Nationalism and and, it, and in Irish politics, and he had to excise that, and he knew that if there were still those forces um, pretending and seducing, that there was another way to do this, that you could, you know, maim and kill your way to Irish unity. If he didn't bring that strand of thought uh, along, um, that that it would keep bubbling up, um, and 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 I think that would have been very very difficult because. Uh, you know they they're still on on a day and daily basis you know atrocities were still were 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 still happening but i suppose he knew while while a lot of other people would play into kind of base responses and and kind of human instinct to to kind of i suppose gain revenge and so on he 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 understood people's thinking i think he understood were those who were who were getting absorbed into into violence on the various side he understood where they were coming from while never giving them um cover but yeah i think that would have been I think that would have been really, really uh, difficult to take. And of course, he necessarily had to be secretive ab- about it as well. Um, so, so I suppose people wouldn't have, have necessarily had a chapter and verse on his thinking. But um, clearly, uh, we we know the IRA and 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 the British Army essentially, you know, obviously um, with, with other forces uh, involved there, were in a were in a were in a stalemate. Neither of them was going to win uh, uh, militarily, but neither of them were going to accept it. And I think he he could have he could have you know not got his hands dirty and allowed that to rumble on for 
how many more years? How long would it have taken them to realise it um, themselves? But he knew he had to intervene. And, and, and you know, we know that for, for every year that, that, that the killing stopped, how many lives did it save? And I suppose he also knew that the bitterness and the cynicism and just the brutality and cruelty of this thing rumbling on for so many years was making reconciliation harder and harder and harder and the longer you left it the less likely it would be possible and and it, again it's hard to think of the counterfactual but if he hadn't done it Northern Ireland could really have descended it would have and it it, it would have polluted the whole of the island you know it, it all uh, political dynamics would have been would have been sucked into it so I suppose he he, he knew that nothing else uh, was working. I mean, it's a measure of his, his success, as it is of any successful politician, that you and I and all of us uh, live in a world which John Hume made. I mean, and that all the tortuous negotiations that took place through the through the 1990s and into the 2000s and the Good Friday Agreement and the St. Andrew's Agreement and all those things, they ultimately ended up with a political shape and a political dispensation, which was clearly visible in what John Hume had been talking about 30 years, uh, 30 years or, or more previously. So they're his institutions more than they are anybody else's institutions. And I do wonder sometimes, looking at them, the very complex interlocking sort of machinery, you know, of within Northern Ireland, on the island as a whole, between Britain and Ireland, in the broader European context, they're the product of a of a, of a sophisticated and subtle mind. But uh, operating within them is not necessarily a very sophisticated and subtle politics. And a lot of those elements of the machine seem to me to be perhaps not even working at all or certainly not working as 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 he might have hoped them to work well i suppose you can you know he 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 believed that those were the ways to you know achieve reconciliation and achieve agreement and achieve consent so you can there's two i suppose ways to approach it. You can par share because you believe it's the right thing to do, or you can par share because it's the law and, and, and those are the structures and you have to operate within them. And people can draw their own conclusions about um, you know, where where people fit uh, into those two lists. So um in some ways, I mean it should it should evolve. We should be I, I imagine he wouldn't have thought that 20 years after he finally got the structures through, we would still require it. And I suppose if people were more bought in to his concepts um, we wouldn't 50 years after he had the idea um, still be living within those structures. But it is until people, um, I suppose, really take on board those um, those values. And that's 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 the, 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 the encouraging thing about these few days that people aren't just talking about, you know, he was born here and he did this. You know, they are they are really thinking about what he what he taught us, I suppose. But but until people learn those things that, um, you know, there's no meaningful progress until everybody's round the table, until all strands of, of, of political thought are represented, until people know that victories aren't solutions, you know, just, just winning um isn't actually, you know, furthering anything, um then then we are probably destined um to still need the ugly scaffolding, as Mar- as Mark Durkin um uh put it. Um but uh, yeah, I mean it 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 um it it, it it's 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 I, I wish we didn't need it fifty years on. I hope we won't in another fifty. Um, but but I suppose it's it's until people embed the concepts and don't just you know follow the law on the structures, we we, we probably won't get that much further.
Speaking of Mark Durkin, I was watching him on RTE television last night and um, he was asked whether the decline of the SDLP or its replacement by Sinn Féin as the, as, the, as the main nationalist party in Northern Ireland was an inevitable part of the process that John Hume set in train in the 1990s. He said he didn't. He thought the word inevitable should, should never be used in politics. But it, it did seem to be one of the, the things that, that Hume accepted might be an outcome of, of, of this process, didn't it? That his, his own party might, might, might decline ultimately in influence and size. Well, I think he probably knew that, um, you know, if if everybody went to where he was trying to take them, he would lose the 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 unique selling point of his of his party. But of course, he was not. He was about ending the the conflict. He was about creating uh, the structures, and he, and he wasn't uh, for better or for worse. He he wasn't about building a political uh, machine. So there's a lot of things that the SDLP did wrong, and and and. Um, you know, uh, it's it's not something I haven't said before. I mean, that, that we didn't focus and we haven't always focused as much on the organisation uh, and, and I suppose building our own own structures. But that that was because Hume was off, you know, doing 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 the work and, and, and kind of creating um, the, the bigger part of 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 the framework. So, yes, in some ways it was inevitable. In some ways um, it was it was, uh, you know, others were better resourced and more professional. And I suppose in some ways it was the structures as well what people think um uh you know are 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 valuable attributes um in in uh it, it, once you get into the nitty-gritty of of you know power sharing and, and and governance i think um and you can see there's a there's a there's a codependency between the two large parties um that that's very very visible in 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 their election results and i suppose in in their in the in their behavior um in in the structure so uh mark is right that's very Mark Durkin answer that nothing is inevitable uh, in, in in politics, but I suppose um, uh, you know there there are things the SDLP could have done better um, to guard against that. You know to, to build its own um, political, uh, I suppose infrastructure and and um, to succession plan better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they were uh, in the business of uh, achieving an end to a conflict that nobody had achieved an end to for 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 hundreds and hundreds of years. So in that regard. He was just immensely successful, and I don't think you know John Hume should carry the can for uh, for, for some of those structural things. It, you know, in in many ways, he's been the most he, he has been the most successful political leader. He he did what he set out to do. Going back to that article in 1964 in the Irish Times, what do you think that John Hume or John Hume, when he was well enough to to address these sort of issues, would have thought of your party's? current relationship with Fianna Fáil? Because I know that's something that you're not a, not a great fan of. I mean, do you think he might have seen that as regressive? Um, I, you know, I, I think John Hume, when he, when he set up and others set up the party, they knew how important uh, it was for the SDLP to be the common ground in Irish politics and for reconciliation, you know, never to be uh, a political football and I suppose to keep strong relationships you spoke about the relationships he had with you know officials and foreign affairs and so on and I think that's something that would have been important but I think he also would have been uh, hurt and frustrated about the doldrums that the SDLP were in and he would have sp- felt the the powerlessness and 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 the fear of 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 slide of this place into a much worse place that the that the SDLP and everybody a lot of people were experiencing in 20 
17, 20, 18, uh, 2019, which was, of course, the, the loss of the Good Friday's institutions, which was a hard Brexit coming down the line, uh, which was, I suppose, no representation in Westminster and no voice and no real forums through which um, people could uh, achieve their political goals and the frustration and the hopelessness that was breeding in, in communities and, and particularly in the SDLP family. So he was somebody who, who was always trying to find find a way out. So it's it's not for me to say uh, what way he would have found out of, you know, worked his way out of that particular um, uh, that particular situation. But I do know he valued political relationships across the board. And I do know he very much valued the social democratic family and, and, and that set of relationships. Claire Hannah, thanks very much indeed for joining us today. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to Claire for joining us and also to our producer, Declan Conlon. Before we go, I would like to encourage you yet again, if you haven't already done so, please do go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe, where you can sign up for unlimited access to the Irish Times for the introductory price of just one euro for the first month. So try it for a month anyway. And if you want to get in touch with us, we would be delighted to hear from you. Just email us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening.